Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. Ogaga. Trying to do some what I would call normal stuff, and then we do a little bit of eschatology so that you can have this in balance your knowledge of the world. So today we're going to start what looks like a revelational teaching from the book of Revelation so that you also can have some insight. Very close to what we treated on the keys to prophetic understanding. You know, when we finished that, we came into Jesus confirming. Yeah, so that's the way I want to be going so that you can have understanding of spiritual interpretation and eschatological issues and then normal stuff about redemption, the sacrifice and the benefits of trusting in Christ. So we're going to be dealing with what I will call the two witnesses of the book of Revelation. The two witnesses of Revelation 11. The two witnesses of Revelation 11. Who are these people? As we're going to read from the book of Revelation chapter 11, from verse 3. Who are these two witnesses of the book of Revelation? That is what we're going to be looking at. These few weeks, praise the Lord. So first of all, today I'm going to lay foundation. And uh, so we're going to start reading from verse 3. Revelation 11 verse 3. King James. And it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And I want you to know that because we're going to go through part of this. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeded out of their mouth and devoured their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that they reign not in the days of their prophecy and have power over water to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against the saints and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Hallelujah. Amen. And verse 9 says, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, 
and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gift one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Praise the Lord. Let me quickly say this. And um, verse 8. Look at verse 8 first and foremost. Verse 8 said, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Gomorrah, where also the Lord was crucified. I think a careful understanding in what I would call good designment can make you see that this is not talking of physical city somewhere. Because number one, Jesus was not crucified in Egypt. Neither was he crucified in Sodom. Can you get that? And so, if you can just see that first, because we're going to deal with it properly, then that definitely will tell you that he's talking about Jerusalem. It is in Jerusalem that Jesus died. When you look at the word Sodom and the word Egypt, two things come to your mind. Egypt is a realm where God's children are put in bondage. That's the law. Sodom is a realm of sin and iniquity. In Jerusalem are they that kills the prophets. Are you getting that? So Sodom is a symbol of sinful nature. Egypt is a realm of bondage. So these are the two things that crucified the Lord, if you will, as we're going to see much later. So essentially what we're dealing with is not a literal thing. Neither is it a thing that is going to come in the future. And so just to stir up your mind, I would like us now to look at... Um, the book of Revelation, as it were, from Revelation chapter 1. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 1. First of all, to lay a foundation about the things that you're about to study, about to read, so that an understanding can come to you to know that what the book of Revelation is about is not about a literal thing. And in other words, you don't read the book of Revelation and you'll be seeing troubles. You'll be seeing dangers that are going to come tomorrow. You'll be seeing the Antichrist that is going to come tomorrow. No, that is not what the book of Revelation is all about. It's not a tomorrow thing. Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay. Um, let me read verse 1. So perhaps verse 4. 
verse 1 to verse 4. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ with God. Revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Which John gave unto him. I mean, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Did you get that? Verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now verse 3, very important to me. Blessed is he that read it and they that hear the word of this prophecy and keep those things which are written during for the time is at hand. That word is very important. I'm going to emphasize that. Blessed is he that read it. It also means you don't read the book and get frightened. You don't read the book and get intimidated. You read the book of Revelation and joy comes to your heart. Because you see things that are actually of Christ. Not the Antichrist, not the beast. Verse 4. John 37 churches, which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. Amen? Praise the Lord. So now, looking at the four verses of the book of Revelation, we'll be able to see some striking things that from verse 1 to 4. So first of all, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. Now the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis means a disclosure, an appearing, a coming, lighting, manifestation be revealed revelation that is what the word apocalypsis means now by implication if it is the we can just put it this way if it is the apocalypsis of jesus so what do you mean by that it simply means the opening or the unveiling of jesus amen now this is important because you don't read, for instance, if a book is written about me, for instance, about my life. You understand? And the book is given to you. When you are reading the book, you are not supposed to see somebody else. You are supposed to see me. Because it's about me. Are you getting that? Good. The book is about him. It's about Christ. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about his comings. Now he said, that which was, which is, and which to come. You find the same word saying Christ is of yesterday, today, and forever. 
So he came, he's right here, and he's coming. It's not just about the future thing, it's about the life of Christ, which to me is being revealed to his people. And when Christ is revealed to you, it is truly your true identity that is being revealed. Because Christ being the Son of God, now you have the Spirit of His Son in your heart crying, Abba Father. When Jesus asked the question in the book of Matthew and said, Matthew 18, and said, Who do men say that I am? Remember that? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. But essentially, it was not just about the revelation of Jesus. It was about he knowing who he was supposed to be. Is that all right? Good. Because they, they, remember, a child is born, a son is given. The son is a Christ. Praise the Lord. And the Christ is being prepared in our life right now. So the revelation of Jesus Christ is the opening of the Christ that seems to be hidden. So when you read the book, you are meant to see, if I may use the word, yourself. There are literal things that happen, which I'm going to touch precisely. But essentially, it is about Christ. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about Nero. It's not about the beast that is coming some days. Even though the way people have smart kind of preached it. Then number two, it is not so much about Rome. Yes, Rome played a part. But it's not about Rome. Like um, we have often seen this to mean, the common teaching is that talking about um, Rome in terms of the papacy. I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's not so much about the Roman Catholic Church. Right? But Rome as an empire played a part, which I think I'm going to touch this evening. Praise the Lord. All right. So we we'll first note that. Then, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ will go given to him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. Now, I want you to know that. The things that must shortly come to pass doesn't mean the thing that have to delay. It will come quickly. It will come right now. It's like saying... When he was speaking in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, 14, 15, and says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not saying it's going to come tomorrow. It's right here. That which was spoken by Daniel is now being manifested by me. So when he says, the thing which must shortly come to pass, he's not talking about what will happen 2,000 years later on the line. Is that okay? Remember, the revelation of Jesus Christ of the things which must shortly come to pass. By implication, there will be no delay. It has to happen. So everything you are supposed to read in the book of Revelation are meant to have happened. Not necessarily going to happen. Only on this wise. Christ of yesterday, today, and forever. And then that which is which is now and which is to come, which was which now and which is to come. So, you can apply it. That is why when I teach from the book of Revelation as I study, I teach from the perspective of what I call kingdom eschatology. He is the king of the kingdom. 
yesterday, today, and forever. So, if Jesus came to some people yesterday, he's coming to you now, and he can also come to you tomorrow, or to somebody else tomorrow. He comes to you for salvation now, it doesn't mean that's the end of salvation. Because you can't be saved except he comes into your life. Are you there with me? Now, that he came into your life now, doesn't mean he will come to somebody's life tomorrow. Can you get what I mean? So, there is a, a past coming who was, there is a coming now, right now, you're receiving him. There is a coming tomorrow because people are still being born into this world. Will we need Christ? Did you get the sense there? So, the comings are past, present, and future. So, you don't say the book of Revelation is fulfilled and nothing can happen anymore. That is from what we call historical perspective of the interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's all fulfilled. The preterist fulfilled preterism, if you want to use the word. But again, I said, it cannot just be fulfilled preterism because it's that which was, which is, and which is to come. So historically, yes. Presently now, and tomorrow, yes. Do you understand what I mean? Okay. But as like when this writing was going on, and this book was given to John to interpret to the people or reveal to the people, the Bible says, remember what we're going to read there, it said to the seven churches, that was a physical church. Right? Okay. So, you have to find that the Bible said, the things which must, and I want you to also see that, must, it's not like maybe, it's not like sometimes, anyhow. The thing which must, can you get that? Hey, are you there with me? The thing which must, and if the Lord said must, then I think it is must. Hallelujah. The things which must shortly come to pass, no delay, it must happen. Can you get that? No, are you following me? I want you to catch it. Look at that. The thing which must shortly come to pass. Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Now, as I'm sending this to you, John, you're speaking this to the seven churches in Asia. The things which must shortly come to pass. No, some years in the future. Amen? So, to interpret the book of Revelation, to mean what is going to come some days, what people call Hamagedon. Have we read about, have I taught you some stuff on Hamagedon before? Okay, you got something on Hamagedon? Recently or some years back? Some few, okay, a few years back, maybe we're going to go back to that so that we can have it on CD. Right? Hamagedon have nothing to do with what is going to come tomorrow. Hamagedon is simply a symbolism of the battle of the wicked against the righteous, where the righteous are defeated or killed, and somebody like Josiah, who was a reformer. He died as a king in the valley of Megiddo. Amagedon is the Greek word for Hebrew word Megiddo. So the word Amagedon is a symbol of where righteous people died. Is that all right? So it's not a war that is coming tomorrow. It's not the third world wall, the second world wall, or first and half, as people try to interpret whatever wars they want. 
And so if anything goes wrong today, oh man, we're heading to the third world war. No, 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 no. Even if you get into the third world war, it doesn't mean the end of the world. Because number one, there have always been wars before now. In fact, our father of faith fought wars. How many of you remember? When Lot was captured, what did he do? He went with how many of his servants and captured back. It was a war. It was when he came back that he began to get gift to Melchizedek. Remember the story? Now, why didn't the war end if war is what's going to end the war? Because our father of faith fought wars. Praise the Lord. Okay, so the next thing he says, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, the word signified is very, very important. Hmm? Praise the Lord. The word signified is very important. Uh, let me try and find it out for you. That word, signified, the Greek word is a minor. From semen. It means a mark. To indicate, to signify, to show that. Right? So, the first thing you need to understand here is that the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. Is a book that is given out in codes. Signify means it is symbolic. It's like what we're dealing with in the scriptural symbolism. Is that all right? He sent the letter in coded form. Now the point is, for those who are going to read, they will have understanding. But those who are not in the kingdom, as it were, will not have the understanding. Is that all right? Praise the Lord. So he sent and signified it, meaning... It is sent in coded form. Praise the Lord. All right? What's the next thing we have then? So the time is our turn, like we said. And then, like I tried to explain there, verse, um, was it verse 4 now? Go to verse, okay, verse 3. What do you find in verse 3? Look at that. No, verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. Blessed is the he that read it. Now, I want you to know that because it's very important. Blessed is he that do what? That read it. Okay? Now, blessed is he that read it. The word blessed means fortunate. It means well off. It means to be happy. Hallelujah. Can you get that? Now, when people read the book of Revelation, they see judgment coming. I don't know how judgment will bring joy to the man that is getting the understanding. Blessed is he that readeth. Happy is he. It's a book of joy. Because it reveals Christ to us. Amen? Praise the Lord. So it's not a book that brings fear or dread to the reader. But joy and what? Happiness. Understand that first. Blessed is it. Fortunate is it. That read it. Amen? Alright. So we said, the things that must only come to pass, we have explained that before. It speaks of the immediacy 
of that which is to happen. The shortness, the quickness, the nowness. Let me use the word. Signify, like I said, shows the whole of this book is full of signs and symbols, which is in apocalyptic language. Amen? It's not delivered in plain speech. So, get this right. You can read about trees and be looking for trees. You can read for rivers and be looking at which river he's talking about. You can read about sea and you're talking about sea. For remember, uh, uh, Revelation 22 talks about the river and the trees that are bearing 12 manner of fruit. How many of you remember that? I remember the trees are the center of the river. Hi. <laughs> okay, we talked about that a little bit. Then he said, the time is at hand. Once again shows imminence. That's right now. No delay. Number four. We read that it is sent to the seven churches in Asia. Amen? So now, that verse tells us who this letter was actually sent to. It was addressed to the seven literal churches during the time that it was written. Is that okay? And you know the church is there as well. Talk about Smyrna, talk about Pegamos, talk about Laodicea, talk about Philadelphia. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Good. Literal seven churches that was in Asia, this book was sent to them. See, until we begin to have an understanding of the language of the Bible, we will always read it with fear and to a very large degree, we don't believe. Because when we don't seem to understand what Jesus is saying, we end up acting completely differently. Because one major thing we need to know is a man's character is already connected to what he believes and what he knows. Your belief shapes your character. Hallelujah. Are you getting that? A man's belief shapes his character. And that is very important for you to understand. Praise the living God. So, here we are dealing with a book written to seven literal churches. And I was trying to explain something to someone yesterday in the office. He was asking a question and then, for instance, have you read in the book, and it says, as the sun rises from the east and sets in the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Have you read something like that? Book of Matthew 24. What do we mean by that? What, what, what do we mean or what do we understand? Or what can we understand when Jesus is using such language? As the sun rises in the east, as sends in the west, so also that the Son of, Son of Man be. Now, the best you can get out of that is simply to look at the map of the world. Where do you find Jerusalem? It's like it's at the center of the world, but basically in the east, in a way. You know, look at your continent, Africa and Asia, it's right there at the center. And then you have the west there. So what Jesus is actually saying, the light of the gospel will break forth from Israel, cross the sea down to the west and begin to go out there. So from the point you see Israel there, you go to Tripoli or whatever, you go to... You, you up there, you have Egypt, you have East Africa, you have Ethiopia, where the eunuchs just went to have the meeting, you just crossed there. Take time to check your warm up. Asia is on to the other side. But the thing is this, 
the gospel actually first hit the West and not begin to come down. So then you have missionaries coming to Africa from the West. Are you getting that? But the gospel left the East down to the West and begin to come down to the rest of the nations. So that is a rising of the Christ coming from the West, I mean from the East to the West. And again, the second thing you need to understand for instance is for every Jewish man, I've explained this sometime. If you look at the temple, that is the eastern gate. The eastern gate, nobody is allowed to pass through that. Right? It's believed that Jesus, I mean God, come from the east. Alright? So that gate is the gate of God. It rises from the east or it comes from the east down to the most holy place. The most holy place was, which is the ark, where the ark was kept, was supposed to be to the west. The door to the temple, anytime they pitch the tent of the wilderness, they pitch the tent with the entrance facing the east. Because they believe God comes from the east or moves from the east. And also that's why you discover that when people die and they want to bury them, they lay their head to the west and their feet to the east. What is the understanding? At the resurrection, they will stand up and face God. Rising from the west. I mean from the east. <laughs> Are you getting that? Resurrection, as they stand up, they don't bury them facing down. They bury them face up, but their head is to the west. So when they rise, they will face God who is coming into the temple. Do you understand this? If you don't have this understanding, you just be reading, don't know what you're reading about. All these things are symbols. All right, so now let's get to Revelation 11. Dealing with the two witnesses. What we're trying to say now is, if you can understand that this book is symbolic, then you need also to understand that the two witnesses are symbolic. That's the foundation I want to lay tonight. Are you getting that? Come on, are you there with me? All right. Now, let me show you one more thing. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, please. Have a say. It says, And he said unto me, Seeing all the saints of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, that word time is very important. The Greek word for that time, there is kairos. Kairos is an occasion that is a set or proper time. Always opportunity. Very important you understand that. There's a big difference between kairos and chronos. Chronos it's where you have the word chronology. Chronology is like you're dealing with history. Okay? Time, you're talking about dates on the calendar chronologically. But God's timing is kairos. And kairos means an occasion or a set time, 
a set or proper time. Okay, let me give you a simple illustration. When the Bible talks about the sense and the appointed time is now. Have you read that before? Is God is using such where he's saying, this is my kairos. When I want to do what I'm saying is now. That's the meaning of the word kairos. It's not on a calendar thing. It's not a historical thing. It is an occasion that God wants to do a thing. So when he says, seeing all the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. What it means to say it, now is what I want to do, what the book is saying. Now you get this right. This is chapter 22, which is the last chapter of the book. Now he's saying, don't seal it. Don't keep it aside. Let everybody read it. And whoever read it, you read it with joy. Because blessed is he that do what? That read it. It's not a book to be hidden. But if you go to Daniel, he said, oh Daniel, seal up the book until the appointed time. For knowledge shall increase and men shall run to and fro. The book of Daniel was a sealed book. But the book of Revelation is an open book. Did you understand what I'm saying here? Now I want you to know that. So, if the book is an open book, then God is expecting that those who are reading the book should have understanding of what he was talking about. And then, we must understand, it was written to the seven churches that were existing in where? In Asia. So people have to read and understand what the book was talking about. Amen? Okay. And now, but what we find is people read this book and they say, well, it's about to happen or it's yet to happen or it's in the future. So we have all of this argument. But I mean, we need to re-examine that. That's what I'm going to use now. For instance, let's look at... Um, let, me, let me read something here. Look at verse 18 in Revelation 22. Verse 18. Look at that. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Next verse. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Don't you think to me, for every one of us. This is a warning. By implication, if you try to teach that this book is to happen some years to come, yet the book is saying, the book is not a sealed book, we should read it now, it is with joy we should read it, don't you think we are taking away from the book? Because I say, blessed is he that read it. But we are saying, you can't read it now and find joy. You've got to wait because it's not even about the joy about the Lord. It's about the judgment that is here to come. So you're taking away the true contents of the book. And the Bible is saying, if you are taking away, to me, everyone of us teaching the book of Revelation about the beast, about Nero, about Antichrist, all those things, we are guilty of this verse of Scripture, 18 and 17. We are taking away. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of Armageddon. It's the revelation about Christ and his church. Period. Hallelujah. 
Amen? So I want you to understand that. And for Jesus to say this, it shows he's really disturbed. And to me, it's like he's feeling some pains that people are going to take away or add. Because number one, if you teach what is not there, you are adding. And if you teach what is not supposed to be, you are taking away. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, I want to look at something. Remember, he said it's a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Well, that's supposed to mean to us again. Like I said, it's the revelation of the common, the parousia of Jesus Christ, as well as his kingdom. Amen? All right. If we start teaching it that it's a future, then there is something that is striking my mind. I don't know if I have to read it right now. Time. Okay, let's take it. Revelation 12, very quickly. Revelation 12, just go ahead. Revelation 12. Um, let me see if that's what I want. Go down to verse 3. Let me read verse 3. That's what I'm looking for. Not verse 3. Go to verse 4. Go to verse 5. Let me just look at that and see. Okay. 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 Go down. Go down. Let me see. Okay. Fine. Look at this. If you look at from verse 1 to 6, it talks about the woman. Right? That was to bring forth a man child, and the devil wanted to defile her, devile the child, and then she ran to, ran to the wilderness where the Lord has prepared for her to feed her. Is that okay? And I've already explained it. If God, if you think you are in the wilderness period, then you are in the place where God is supposed to favor you. Because in the wilderness, you don't walk. He walks to prepare for you. Is that all right? When Israel was in the wilderness, he was feeding them. When this woman was taken to the wilderness, she was being fed. So wilderness is a place where people are fed. Is that okay? All right. Now, but what I'm dealing with is this. And there was one in heaven. Look at that. And Michael and his angel fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. Go ahead. Just go ahead. And prevail not, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. Go ahead. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Mm -hmm. And I heard a loud voice. Now begin to understand. This is what people misinterpret, and they say this has to do with Lucifer. Right? But you follow this. And because they teach you Lucifer was wrestling with God, he was a mighty angel, was wrestling with God in heaven, wanted to enthrone God. Maybe I'm going to find out to teach you. Uh, Isaiah 14 again so that you can really correlate these things uh, but suffice it for the now you listen to this there was only heaven the dragon was cast down is that okay remember the dragon is the serpent is that all right okay and then I said and he said and I had a loud voice saying in heaven now is listen 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 now is salvation and strength, and what? The kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Question. 
I want you to catch it. Are you getting anything here? It is as the dragon is cast out that salvation is revealed. And my question is, was salvation revealed in heaven or revealed on earth? Now can't talk to me now. <laughs> Are you following what I'm talking about? Is salvation meant to be executed in heaven or to be executed on earth? Is the kingdom to be executed in heaven or executed on earth? And he said, now it's come. So how does the kingdom come? When Satan is what? Cast out. The kingdom is revealed. Salvation is received. Strength is revealed. Christ is revealed. It's there. That would take me to somewhere else. It's the whole message. But let me show you what it means. Ephesians 2. Talk with me to Ephesians 2. I want you to catch it because it's very important. People just come preach all kind of stuff. No. Salvation is connected to the casting away of Satan. Ephesians 2. Are you there with me? Verse 1 and 2. Come on, quickly. 1 and 2. Hallelujah. Give me the normal font. You're changing your font in there. And he said, no, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And ye had the quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Are you there? Verse 2. Where in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now you follow. The spirit that now walketh where? In the children of disobedience. So when the devil is cast out of your spirit, God's kingdom comes into your spirit. Then the devil is cast down, which accuse the brethren in your spirit day and night. So it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. That is why if you go back to Revelation 12, now you now understand that the whole thing is talking about the workings of Christ among his people. Did you get that? I still want you to look at that. Now if you go back to that Revelation 12. Now, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience, but for you, it's no longer walking there. Meaning, it has been cast out of your spirit. Okay, get this right. Mighty 12. Mighty 12. Look at verse 28. Just get it right. If this is only thing you can pick tonight, fine. But if I cast out devils, look at this, by the Spirit of God, then what? The kingdom of God is come unto you. Does it make sense? So when the devil is cast out, the kingdom comes in. Now, Revelation 12. Go back there. And look at the verse we're dealing with. Now it's come. And there was one in heaven. Michael and his angels fought and against the dragon and the dragon fought and, and his angels. Mm -hmm. Verse 8. And prevail not, neither was there plan, find a place in heaven anymore. Mm -hmm. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan could deceive the whole world. Now you listen to the point. What is the weapon of the devil? Deception. Is there any other power that he has? No. We deceive the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Somebody once asked me, he said the angels means the demons because he's Satan. Well, if you want, fine, no problem. But can I explain something to you? It's like I'm preaching tonight. 
You are the saints. Remember, the Bible says in the book of Jews, talking about Christ coming with thousands of saints. Am I right? Good. Now, the Spirit also say, the bride say, come, the Spirit come. That means both of them are one. Now, if you go to Matthew, it says, the devil will be cast out into hell or the lake of fire that I prepared for it. What is that supposed to mean? Listen, Christ cannot be manifested without the body. Is that okay? Even so, the Satan, if you want, cannot be manifested without the people. So false prophet equals the body of Satan. The saint equals the body of Christ. So if Satan is cast into hell, then it means the false prophet that the people cast into hell because they'll take Satan there. Are you getting this? <laughs> Look at it now. And Satan quickly saved the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So the angels are simply people who carry Satan. Does it make sense? Next verse. So that's why we're dealing with verse 10 now. Go to verse 10. And I heard, after he was cast out, then what the next thing? I heard a loud voice saying, in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before God day and night. Is it simple? Now, this verse alone, like I said before, will make you understand that the book of Revelation is, the, is, is, a, is a now book, not that of tomorrow. And people will begin to tell you that this happened some years back. Crazy. What did Luke number 10 says? If you look at Luke chapter 10, the disciples were sent out, and the Bible made us to understand that when they came back, they spoke to the Lord and said, even Satan was subject unto us. How many of you understand that? So what was the next thing Jesus said? I saw Satan fall like lightning. So if you said this one happened some millennial years ago before Jesus was born, which time, which one did Jesus see him falling in the book of Luke? Are you following that? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Because they said the Satan was subject unto them, or the devil was subject unto them. What was Jesus saying? When he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, what it simply means to say is, I'm about going to the cross, and I'm going to destroy his powers, and there will be no room for him to accuse you anymore. If you go back to this passage, Michael simply means, who is like God. And who else is like on the Bible? Jesus Christ. He said, Michael and his angels fought. Huh? Go to the book of Jude, and the Bible will tell you, Michael was fighting with the devil for the body of Moses. I've taught you that before. How many of you remember that? What is the body of Moses? Is it one corpse that was dying somewhere? The law. Satan was struggling. The law must not be put away because if the law is put away, the man will no longer sin because by the law is the knowledge of sin. And once you sin, you die. The wages of sin is dead. 
So Satan was struggling. The law must not be put away for grace to come because the more you live on the Lord, the more you die. Hallelujah. All right, let's take a few things on what we're dealing with tonight. I have to come here to be able to explain a few things to you. So, what I'm trying to say is the book of Revelation is not a future book. It's a past, present, and future book. Kingdom-wise. Because his kingdom is yesterday, today, and forever. Because the king is yesterday, today, and forever. He was, he is, and is to come. Does it make sense? Good. Okay. Back to Revelation chapter 11. All right, now let's see. No, no, no. First of all, Revelation chapter 1. Let me deal with this. We can just deal with this tonight. And next week, we did fully with the whole of the witnesses. I know I'm confusing some of you now, but it's better you get confused. I'm speaking in parables, and Jesus always teaching in parables. And I know you will understand very soon. Amen? Amen? Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also quit pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. <laughs> that which is, which was, and which is to come. He is coming. I want to show you something here. That the world clouds, I'm trying to lay a foundation for you to understand the book of Revelation before we start dealing with the two witnesses. Okay. Turn to Isaiah 9, 19 verse 1. Isaiah 19 verse 1. What did he say? 19 verse 1. Praise the Lord. The book of Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1 will give you the burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud. Now I want you to look at this. And shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be removed at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall met in the midst of it. Does it mean God is going to be flying like a bird to Egypt? Is that what you think he's talking about? Here in this picture, the Lord is coming for judgment to Egypt but he wants to use another nation as a people that he has inspired in his heart to destroy Egypt. But it's referred to as what? A cloud. Is that correct? Okay. Um, but, um, just write down Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 33, but we don't need to read that. Uh, Other scriptures are there that you can read to get what I'm trying to say. I'm sure I dealt with this uh, extensively on the prophetic symbols. So you can go and get that tape. All right. Um, okay. So what I mean to say, Nehum, no, no, no. I said Nehum 133. Nehum 133 if you want to. If you can get it, fine. Book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 33. That's what I said. So, what I'm, what I'm really trying to say is, 
He's coming and riding in the cloud. It's a symbol of God coming in judgment. Right? And in a people. Praise the Lord. The Lord coming in the cloud is God coming in judgment, but through a people. So it's not talking about God coming in the empty space. So for instance now, when we read of Revelation 1-7, the Lord coming in the clouds and even those appearing him. If we have come to the understanding that literal people have this book written to them, then you must also expect some literal fulfillment of some of the scriptures. So the question is, who were the people that pierced him? The truth is, you and I were not the people that pierced him. Am I right? If you want to talk about the people that pierced Jesus, you're talking about the Romans. Not only that, you're also basically talking about the Jewish people because the Jewish people were the ones that committed Jesus to the hands of the Romans. Zachariah spoke about this as well. Hallelujah. Now, so what was a cloud that Jesus was coming with or through in this case? It has to do with the Roman armies that came to Jerusalem for destruction in A.D. 70. And those who pierced him literally saw that of a truth, this is God's judgment as prophesied in Matthew 24. Amen? So I'm trying to establish the fact that for the issue of cloud, I would like you to go back and get that city so that you can have a clear understanding of that on coming with or in the clouds. So you must understand we have the class of judgment, we have the cloud of glory, we have the cloud of witnesses. Depending on the passage that you are reading. For instance, we know we talk about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It talks about we being surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, which has to do with the sense of old. Amen. Then if it's coming with the clouds of glory, it's coming with us hallelujah we are the clouds of glory but if it's simply coming in clouds then you need to find out in context what it's dealing with so like we're looking at here in revelation 1 verse 7 he's coming in the clouds of judgment and the people that were used to judge israel was the roman people so he is coming in the Roman soldiers to execute judgment on Jerusalem. That is what you find in Revelation 1 verse 7. Praise the living God. And so those who pierced him, those who rejected him, they saw when the judgment came. He came in the cloud. Like we find in the book of Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 33. The Bible made us to understand. Like in Isaiah, no. He came with the Assyrians to deal with Egypt. And get them out of the way. Anytime God raises the people and the people become rebellious and stubborn, God uses because number one, you must understand that Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah 25, God said Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. 
You understand that? But when they become rebellious, not knowing that God positioned him, God raised another nation to deal with Babylon and get them out of the way. Now, when God is coming with other nations to deal with the nation that was working with, it's referred to as he's coming in what? A cloud. Do you understand this now? Okay. So, I try to lay the foundation for you to understand that the book of Revelation is not just something that is going to happen tomorrow. It has happened, it's happening, and it shall yet happen. Amen? Praise the living God. For further information and message order, please call plus 234-803-4810869. Or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net. God bless you.